Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Have questions about the healthcare industry? Welcome to 19 Conversations. Today, we're asking Olivier Charmé, who is Executive Vice President General Medicines at Sanofi, how can Europe be better prepared for future pandemics? I'm Jackie Davis. Thank you for joining the conversation. So, Olivier, great to have you with us today. We are, of course, still in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. But what have we learned so far about crisis management, crisis preparedness, how well prepared we were, and what do we learn from what has happened so far? So I'm sure you're like me, Jackie. I think the learnings are both personal and, and professional. I remember when this whole thing started, I was in the US and I left the US mid-March by the last plane to Europe after President Trump had declared the state of emergency. I arrived in Paris and I got a phone call saying that I had met people that had been tested positive and that I should go on confinement. And so I asked my family to leave my flat and I was put in quarantine. Then the two or three following days, I thought that it was really the best investment of my time. I wanted to become Zoom and WebEx and Teams literate. And I've invested a lot in order to make sure that I really uh, was using those tools uh, in the best way. And those two days have been very efficient. And of course, I took care of my parents. I took care of colleagues and making sure that everything was okay. But looking back to those uh, few weeks since March, I think there are a couple of learnings uh, that can be drawn in terms of how we get prepared uh, for, for, for any potential crisis. The first element is the crisis has shown the critical link between human health and economic growth. I was uh, in 2003 after the SARS, I was, I was in Asia, and it's obvious that since 2003, the theme of pandemic preparedness caught a lot of traction. But on the other hand, uh, we all realized that it was very, very expensive, and uh, I'm not sure all the investments that should have been made uh, have really been made. We, what we take away also over the last few months is that I think now there is more and more a consensus uh, that governments need to continue to invest in building a sustainable healthcare. I think this theme of population management, of making sure that we have a robust healthcare system, uh, got a lot of traction. The second thing that I would, I would mention is that, and I think it has been pretty impressive, Jackie. Yeah? we saw an unprecedented and impressive industry resource mobilization. When, when I look to, to my experience at Sanofi, and uh, since the beginning of the, the pandemic, myself and our colleagues, really, we had two obsessions. The first obsession was to make sure that we ensure the continuity of supply of essential medicines uh, in order to make sure that we continue to serve our patients. And I'm very happy uh, to report that you know our employees uh, in each and every manufacturing facilities uh, have been you know uh, working in order to serve uh, our patients. And the second element, which was absolutely key, uh, was to make sure that we could develop treatments and vaccines uh, against COVID-19 as fast as possible. Uh. So again, here it's about speed uh, and it's about scale. Uh. Uh, speed is absolutely of essence here, but also it's a global pandemic, so we need to make sure that we are able to manufacture both drugs but also vaccines in and, and, sufficient quantities. 
And indeed, the speed at which the industry has responded in terms of, I know it often takes a decade to develop a vaccine, and yet we're talking about within less than a year, potentially, if everything goes well. So it has been extraordinary. But can I just come back first on this point? You talked about more robust healthcare systems. When it comes to improving the resilience, the responsiveness and the readiness of our health systems for a crisis of this kind, uh, what do we need to do? You talked about investment. Where do we need to invest? Where does the focus need to be? So first, it's obvious that everyone has realized that the resilience of the system has been has been questioned. I think there is now a shared consensus uh, that COVID has acted as an amplifier in making us conscious that uh, healthcare system in some part of the world, in Europe, I was having a discussion a couple of years ago in Canada, we are close to, to the breaking point. So the question of, you know, uh, how there has been a little bit of a re-rating, uh, what I would call a strategic rating of the importance of, of healthcare. And uh, everyone realized that prevention in the future is going to be very important. In simple words, uh, we should consider healthcare as an investment and not as a cost. Uh, I think too often in the past, we have looked to healthcare expenses really as expenses, but not as an investment. Uh, we need to build a virtuous circle where healthier population is more productive and at the end of the day will generate more a generic contribution to society. I think also that uh, when the crisis is going to be behind us, we will have to pay much more attention on how we fortify the healthcare system, huh? how we make sure that we make healthcare accessible and, of course, and affordable, because this is absolutely key uh, for, uh, of course, the general population. The last, the second point that I would mention is that. The, there are a lot of potential with digital. And I see it in various space. Huh? Uh, first, I think everyone has understood that uh, digital can bring a lot of value in terms of better managing you know, the healthcare system and providing more positive uh, outcome at the end of the day for the, for the patient. Huh? I'm amazed to see huh, that we get more and more data uh, the theme of telemedicine is getting a lot of traction. So I think we are on the eve of a revolution in terms of what I would call the primary care management. Huh? We are entering into the world of 5G. There would be more and more wearables. We could even argue that in the future, uh, at least with uh, general, uh, with primary care physicians, we will have more interaction huh, that are going to be uh, online than offline, at least uh, for some disease. So, the, the second element, which I think it, it's important, is that, of course, and here it's a little bit mixed, I have to say, it is uh, the strategic importance of, of the data. On one hand, we see uh, how much the data can bring a lot of value. On the other hand, it's amazing to see that in COVID, we are starting to have millions of data. But on the other hand, there are still uh, a lot of things that, that are missing. Uh. We so don't know, for example, exactly how the kids uh, are spreading the virus. Uh, so it's paradoxical. I think everyone is convinced that data are going to be king on one hand, 
on the other end, I think there is still a long way to go. So on that on that note, uh, and in terms of what the EU can do now to strengthen its preparedness, to make sure it has the response mechanisms in order to better protect uh, the health of our citizens, you were talking there about data, and I'm wondering here whether you feel that the framework that we have at the moment for collecting and analysing that data is sufficient or is this an area where you think policymakers will need to focus? I'm also wondering how you see the role of agencies like the European Medicines Agency, the European Centre for the Prevention of Disease and Control, all these things. What is the framework we need to make this really work? Jackie, this is a very important question. I think first, if we step back for one minute, we should commend the efforts of the European Commission now. Uh, since the beginning of the crisis. I have to say that it's, it's, it's very important, very significant what they have been able to do uh, to involve uh, various organizations, various stakeholders, really placing Europe as an essential partner uh, in the healthcare space. I think there has been a lot of dialogue that has been fostered by the European Commission uh, between the industry, between the regulatory authorities. So uh, I think in this context, really, uh, the European Commission uh, played a very important role. Also, trying to identify, you know, some way uh, uh, in terms of regulatory adaptation and flexibility in order to make sure uh, that we accelerate the development of a vaccine, making sure also uh, that there is absolutely no compromise on safety. The question of the framework is an important uh, is an important question. I think that first. There needs to be more efforts uh, in the future so that uh, we are all better equipped uh, for a future biothreat preparedness. Uh, I think it's definitely the role of EMA and uh, European CDC. Uh, I think here one of the takeaways of the COVID is that we need to be better prepared for the future uh, in order to face any biothreat. The, the second element which is important and uh, I'm very pleased then to hear uh, President uh, Ursula von der Leyen uh, on this concept of EU BARDA. Huh? Uh, you know, in order to build, you know, an agency uh, uh, for biopreparedness, we need to have a framework. And uh, there is a, this framework is existing in the US. Huh? There is a, a strategic view. There is also some funding. So we need to make sure that we have a strategic plan and uh, annual funding uh, to support, you know, uh, and to get prepared for, for any event. The, the last element, which I think uh, is, is also important, is that we need to make sure that uh, every government in Europe prioritize healthcare as really a very important element in terms of uh, investment. Uh, this theme is, get, is, taking, is, is uh, catching a lot of traction. I was last week uh, attending a discussion uh, at the World Health Summit, and I was very happy to hear that EU for Health was mentioned a few times. I think also more and more we will need, if I'm getting back to uh, immunization and vaccination, to have coordinated approach uh, so that uh, in each and every country of, of Europe, when we are going to deploy you know, our vaccination plan, it is done in a very consistent manner.
And this is something, of course, that EU leaders have been discussing uh, at a couple of summits over the last month or so, really working. Uh, they weren't so great at coordinating at the beginning, but really working on that coordinated plan. Can I just come back to the role of industry in all of this? Because you talked earlier about uh, the mobilisation that has taken place within your sector, uh, both in terms of continuity of supply, but also in terms of developing treatments and vaccines. And we talked about the speed at which this is happening and you underline the need for speed and scale. Um, as we look to the future uh, and building on that collaboration, um, do you think we could do even more to boost the collaboration between yourselves, between industry and the EU and governments at national level to make sure that we really are better equipped for the next pandemic, whatever it might be? Jackie, it's a very, very important question. I think what one of the, the things that, that the crisis has revealed is nothing is at scale of any organization. At the end of the day, we need to make sure that we build a very strong ecosystem huh, where there are governments, you know, policymakers, academia, civil society, and of course, uh, industry, huh, so that we work together and uh, avoid that uh, to be caught off guard uh, by the, the next pandemic. Huh? I mentioned a little bit earlier the strategic importance of public-private partnership, you know, this concept of EU BARDA, you know, like model. I think this is very important. I think all the stakeholders have to work together to be able to define, you know, what could be the strategic framework. It has to fit, you know, of course, uh, with, uh, with Europe. Uh, and we need to make sure that it's not only the framework, but there are some mechanisms in terms of funding so that, you know, when we are out of COVID, because we will be out of COVID at some point, but we are starting to think about what would be the, the next crisis. I can tell you that on our hand, uh, the Sanofi side, we want to continue to be a, an important stakeholder. We want to continue to cooperate. We want to continue to invest in Europe uh, so that we are better prepared by being, of course, a very important player, a very important actor on vaccines uh, for us and uh, to continue to invest in, in Europe is absolutely critical. The last, the last element which is important, and you were talking about the framework here, is that we need to make sure that there is a very competitive industrial environment in Europe uh, that fosters science and innovation. Uh. Europe needs to be competitive so that we are able to continue to develop, you know, innovation and science. Uh, to, to build a very attractive environment uh, is, of course, very high on the agenda of, of government and of the Commission. But I think this will be absolutely key if we want to be better prepared uh, for uh, any potential bio-threat that could happen in the upcoming years. And Olivia, just one, one last thought, because it is very striking the way that industry has collaborated between companies. You've been working uh, together. Uh, and, and I'm wondering, and as we mentioned earlier, this speed at which you are moving in terms of treatments, in terms of vaccines and so on, what do you think has been the key ingredient? Uh, because it is quite remarkable when you think how long it normally takes to do these things, how fast yeah. the response has been. How have you how have you got this far so fast? I think a lot of people are wondering what the magic ingredient has been and what we learn for the future from that. No, I think it's, it's, it's a very good point. It's amazing. And you know that on our side, for example, I would take two examples. On our side, uh, we have signed uh, with our colleagues from GSK uh, an agreement so that we can really join our forces. Uh. This is absolutely unique uh, in the industry. I would say that under normal circumstances, 
to negotiate uh, an, uh, an agreement like that would have, to, would have taken months, months. Okay. So it took a few weeks. It took a few weeks because I think we were all animated, you know, by a very strong sense of purpose. Uh, we were really conscious of our responsibilities as an industry, and it's really amazing. I would take another example, which is important, where we see that the industry has been able to join force huh, uh, to tackle COVID. It's uh, all this discussion, you know, I'm sure you have heard about it on COVAX. Huh? So making sure that low middle income countries, emerging markets have also equitable access to COVID uh, when COVID is going to be available. And it's interesting to see that those discussions, you know, took place, they could have taken place in six months. No, they took place really at the beginning because every, every stakeholder thought that it, was, it would be important that each and every country would have an equitable access to the COVID vaccine. Thank you very much. So lots of challenges ahead, lots of lessons to be learned, but nevertheless, uh, some remarkable achievements in terms of cooperation with industry, between industry and governments, uh, and between governments and the European level. So lots to build on, uh, even while we are in the midst of the current crisis. Olivier, thank you so much for your time today uh, and for talking to us. Um, and thank you for listening to 19 Conversations. If you like this podcast, please click on the subscribe button to be the first to know when we release our next episode. And please leave a rating and review. And until our next episode, we'd invite you to join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag questions inspire solutions. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>